I've been a fan of radio since I was a little kid. Having been born in Brooklyn and raised in various parts of the New York metropolitan area, I grew up listening to New York radio during several of its golden ages. I was a captivated listener to the emergence of rock and roll in the 1950s and the work of such pioneering DJs as the great Alan Freed on WINS. He coined the phrase rock and roll and was instrumental in it taking root in America's popular culture. Now, here we go. The next section of our rock and roll party is brought to you by Friendly Prostores, New York's number one home appliance and television retailers. And we've got great news about Zenith Television for you from Friendly Prost Mom and Dad in just a moment. Telegram from Flushing to Peggy and Vivian. We wish you luck from Bob and somebody else. And a telegram from Bronxville to all the gang at Concordia, Dudham, with love from Bubbles. And here is Pee Wee Creighton with my idea about you. In the 60s, I was a devoted listener to the great top 40 personality-oriented stations of that era, WABC, WMCA, WINS, WMGM, and more, with New York DJs such as Murray the K, Cousin Brucie, Scott Muni. I was a fan of the WMCA good guys, people such as Dandy Dan Daniels and B. Mitchell Reed. I still to this day have an original WMCA good guys sweatshirt. It was a huge status symbol for a kid to have one of those. Good guys play hits. You bet. You ain't heard nothing yet. We don't just sing. On Howie's ring. One, two, three, four. We bring a smile. One, two, three, four. First on your dial. One, two, three, four. You're gonna see we're guaranteed for life. When you got good guys, a truly good guy, at 57 Radio. Our guest this week has been chronicling radio conferences and radio history for nearly 30 years and archiving the very best radio personalities on video since 1979. He's recorded video of some of the greatest on-air legends in studio doing their shows. In many cases, these are the only recorded documents of these figures in existence. His entire library will be featured in a permanent exhibit soon to be unveiled at the National Radio Hall of Fame in Chicago. Our guest is the biggest devotee of American radio that I have ever met. He was aptly dubbed Radio's Best Friend by famous DJ Scott Shannon in the early 1980s, a moniker that has stuck over the years. On June 8th this year, he'll be the recipient of the prestigious 2018 Lifetime Achievement Award at the annual Talkers Convention in New York City. Get ready for a deep dive into the nuts and bolts of American radio popular culture. Our guest this week is the president of Volo Video Airchecks, a one-of-a-kind individual, Art Volo. Welcome to the Michael Harrison Interview, the weekly podcast from Podcast One for media freaks, pop culture aficionados, political junkies, and the philosophically curious. 
Thank you for downloading this program from Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and the Podcast One app, and for following our Tuesday tweets announcing the names of our weekly guests. To sign up, it's at MH Interview. I can be reached directly via email at michaelattalkers.com. If you find this show to be of interest and value, please subscribe to it, as well as giving it a positive five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I'll be presenting an uninterrupted conversation with a colorful behind-the-scenes player in the radio industry and one of the medium's preeminent historians, Art Volo. But first, a very brief message. If you like sports podcasts, check out Podcast One Sports Now every Tuesday on Podcast One Sportsnet. Backed by the global resources of the Associated Press's sports department, join Jim Litke and Tim Dahlberg as they break down the latest news and events throughout the week. And they'll be podcasting from all major sporting events on the site throughout the year. Check out Podcast One Sports Now at Podcast One Sportsnet and Apple Podcasts. Also remember to rate and review. Okay, here we go. An uninterrupted conversation with Art Volo. Hey, Art Volo. I just found out your name is pronounced Volo and not Volo. I've known you for years. It's V-U-O-L-O. Uh, how come uh, you never told me until now? <laughs> well, I, I just figured you knew that. You know everything, Michael. I mean, you're a learned man. You're one of the best in, in the business, so I just figured you had heard it enough times. Uh-huh, so, so you is silent. The only part of me that is. So it's so it's pronounced Volo as opposed to Vuolo, which most people call you Vuolo because they see the V-U-O-L-O. It's an interesting name. Um, you know, what I, find in, what I find interesting is it starts with the letters V-U, which are the letters that are on the, the, the ubiquitous meter. Whenever they show anything on film or video, as you know, you've made hundreds of videos of radio in progress behind the scenes they always go to the vu meters you know that's right the tv stations do that they always shoot they, they their philosophy is if it moves shoot it mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh so they always so people should know always put your call letters or your logo down by your meters because they always shoot the vu meters but michael what i found interesting is, is when i tell people my name is vu like a vu meter and i'm telling this to radio people they go and then I say, by the way, do you know what the VU stands for? And nine out of ten times, they don't know what it stands for. And it's really pretty basic. The V, of course, is turn up the voltage. Volume. <laughs> no volume. Turn up the volume. Vol- and the U is an increment, which means uh, unit. Volume units. That's all it is. That's what it means? <laughs> I'm one of the I'm, I'm one of the nine out of ten. <laughs> oh my! Okay, well, I won't hold that again. But isn't it's it's kind of funny in life how that works? Um, uh, I've always found VU meters to be kind of perplexing. Anyway, like like you know, where do you really run an optimum level? Do you do you run it when it goes to the zero? Do you go into the red? Do you stay on the on the side on the other side of it? Uh, everybody has their own way of interpreting that thing we call yeah. modulation. But um, well, in, in the, all the studios that I've been in shooting video, I usually see people cranking it really hard and letting the limiter do the work. Mm-hmm. Well, between that, there and the transmitter. Well, that creates a little bit of distortion, but uh, you know what I yeah, find? I, I, I don't know whether or not uh, you, as a uh, as just one of the most astute radio listeners and behind-the-scenes participants and fans and boosters of the medium, uh, I don't know whether you've noticed, but it seems to me that um, 
in the last 10, 15 years that radio has gone through um, kind of an economic crisis, that the stations don't sound as good as they used to uh, from a standpoint of sound. That the, the I'm talking about the technical engineering, that um, they don't have as many engineers tweaking the equipment every day and keeping up with the latest stuff as they should because, um, like everything else in radio, you have um, multitasking and people having more jobs uh, per employee than they used to have. And uh, one of the areas that suffered has been the engineering departments. Uh, is, is this in my imagination? I agree. Or do you notice that? No, I agree 100 I agree 100% on that. I mean, uh, there was a documentary, an excellent documentary that was made a number of years ago by a guy up in Toronto uh, called The Rise and Fall of the Big Eight. And it was about CKLW in Windsor, Ontario, Canada, which, of course, is right across the river from from Detroit. And there was a time when CKLW, and it was known as the Big Eight, was probably considered one of the five biggest and best and most influential um, top 40 radio stations in America, North America. And uh, they had an engineer there who, uh, he's uh, sadly gone now, but uh, the late uh, Ed Buderbaugh was legendary for being a guy that would tweak the transmitter to where it was as loud in Toledo and Cleveland as it was in, in Detroit. I mean, he had that thing booming so big that another one of those, you'll never hear the story anywhere else, uh, factoids was that there's a station in Flint, Michigan, WWCK, which took the call letters so that, of course, this is pre-PPM, and when people would write in diaries that they listen to CK, they'd get the credit for it. And that's a true story. And believe it or not, there's another station even as far away as Erie, Pennsylvania, where the signal came straight across Lake Erie, and the station there is WCCK. And that was also to get credit from people writing CK in their diary, meaning the one in Canada, but they'd get the credit because <laughs> they had CK in their colleges. Well, for people listening, story, but true. For people listening to this conversation who don't understand PPM and diary, this is um, Art is talking about um, the way ratings were taken, and um, P- right. PPM stands for uh, Portable People Meter. It's a digital way of doing it, but before that, and and it's still used around the country. There's a diary method where people actually fill out and paper what they're listening to or what they listen to during the week by recall and the stations yeah. used to play and people's memories aren't good yeah, yeah. The, the people the stations used to play all kinds of games with uh mm-hmm. with, with listeners minds to get them to write down their station even if they weren't listening to it so you have been yeah. a fan of radio since you're a kid i assume uh and you are yeah. you are basically by trade a videographer and uh, i opened up up this uh, conversation by telling everybody uh, during the intro that you have recorded um, the conventions uh, for for decades now of of all the different trade magazines and uh, broadcast associations, behind-the-scenes stuff, but you've also gone around the country and collected videos of some of the greatest DJs and radio performers on the air that's ever been assembled and uh, so many of them now that uh, the Museum of Radio and the Hall of Fame in Chicago is going to have an exhibit of, of your work. That has got to be making you feel very, very good and very uh, gratified. When did you first become interested in radio? And then how did you suddenly become the industry's official videographer? 
Boy, that's a good question. Uh, I got I got interested in radio when my mother uh, bought me my first little crystal radio. It was one of those little plastic ones that was shaped like a rocket, uh, and it and it had a little antenna that you could move up and down coming out of the tip of it, and a little wire with one little earplug. This is you know mono, <laughs> very definitely mono. And what it would do is pick up the closest AM radio station to wherever you were. Uh, and this was uh, during the days I lived in Indianapolis, where I basically spent my wonder years, <clears throat> because Indianapolis is where I did all my grade school and half of high school. So those are, are real formulative years. And uh, we had a radio station only about three blocks from the house, but it was a daytimer. So it went off the air at sundown. And uh, so the next closest transmitter was uh, station WIRE, great call letters, they should never have let go, uh, but that was in Indianapolis on 1430 on the AM dial. And I could actually, in the wintertime, when the leaves were off the trees, I could see the two blinking lights on their two AM towers from where I lived. And uh, that's the station I picked up. And the, and the way it worked is you had a little alligator clip on the end of a wire that came out of this little radio, and you would clip it like onto the center screw or something like on a, on a wall plate, and that would ground it, and that's how you heard the station. So I fell asleep every night with that radio station plugged into my ear listening to a DJ by the name of Bernie Herman, who um, went on to a... Uh, a great career after Indianapolis in uh, talk radio in Philadelphia, I think at WCAU, and I can't swear to that, which is uh, WPHT today. But uh, but Bernie uh, played two hours of rock and roll. This was a full service station. It it played everything under the sun, and they uh, they had talk shows. They had uh, read the comics on Sunday morning. It was a bizarre pot potpourri of programming. But at night, from ten to midnight, they played the hits. And I fell asleep with it every night. So that's that's how it ingrained my brain, I guess, into a. So, into you, radio. how old were you uh, in your teens, or were you preteen? Uh, no, this would have been uh, this would have been when I was. Well, let's see, I was born in '45. This would have been about 1955. So I was about 10 years old. You are very. You are a very youthful man for uh, one born in '45. My congratulations to you. <laughs> I you. Uh, I um, had that same radio. I had that little rocket. You're and, kidding. Did uh, no. you really? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, I was a radio freak. You know what I'm talking about. I was a radio yeah. freak, and uh, and I always thought it was magic. I, I, I thought the idea yeah. that you could listen to radio without plugging it in, without electricity. I know. And, uh, and, and I know. to this day, I find that to be kind of stunning. Of course, you had no con <laughs> you had no control over what you listened to. It, it was the, yeah, near right. the I mean, nearest biggest signal. Station. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. But but just yeah. the idea, I, you know, for a kid, right. for a kid, anything uh, like that, that you that you can do with such a simple piece of mechanism and not plug it in because, you know, electricity was the the big answer to all the mysteries, you know, electricity oh, yeah. made. But but if a thing worked. Without electricity, that could pull a signal in from the air and put it into your ear. Mm -hmm. Pretty darn amazing. 
Um, yeah. I think that's the way radio started, Art. I think that in the early, 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 early days, before the the pictures we see of people in the 40s sitting around the living room listening to FDR, you know, and the, and, the, and the radio was like a piece of furniture, like a television set. But in the early, early days of radio, I think all listening was done. Uh, with with little earbuds, with a mono earbud, and um, well, you know, I think Michael, I think that may be why I was always called a creative type. Okay, mm-hmm. and maybe it was that that stimulated my create my creative juices because um, I was also an artist. I, I used to be able to uh, watch a Disney movie and come back and draw all the scenes. Wow! Um, I, I could, to this day I can draw all, all, most of the the Disney characters. A lot of people don't even know that I can do that. Mm. Uh, I will do it sometimes in restaurants if they they put a piece of white paper across the tablecloth or something. Oh my and I gosh! Have a Sharpie in my pocket. You and I and are it, so and similar. It with me. You yeah, and I, they say, I do oh it my too. Gosh, I didn't know you could do that. I do the same <laughs> but thing. But I was not a Really, I was not a jock. I was, I was, uh, I was a dreamer. I was a creative type person, and uh, and 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 because of that, I, I I didn't. When I got out of grade school, went into high school. I went to an all boys Catholic high school, um, taught by the very strict Brothers of the Holy Cross. And and to be honest with you, it was one of these schools. It was a Cathedral High School in Indianapolis, which today is a massive complex uh, co-ed and everything. Uh, but it, back in those days, it was an all-boys school. And if you weren't either a jock, meaning that you were really into sports, mm-hmm. or you were a scholar, you just didn't fit in. Uh, those are the two categories that were the most popular. So I didn't click. But when I moved to Michigan in 1962, um, the end of the summer of 62, I moved to Michigan, and wound up going to the same high school that produced Bob Seeger, who was in my gym class in high school. Wow. And Dion Jackson, who had one hit record called Love Makes the World Go Around. And these guys were in my high school, Ann Arbor High School, right across from the big house in uh, in, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So I was immediately deemed, uh, or dubbed, I should say, uh, DJ. For the uh, after the high school uh, football game dances on Friday night, I was playing the music in the rec room at the dances after the games, wearing a red blazer, looking like an Avis representative. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> and uh, and uh, and I was very very popular. I had and plus this high school was so massive it had its own closed circuit radio and TV facilities in high school. Mm. So it was very, very cool. So the radio stuff and the DJing and the red jacket and all that gave you a little mm-hmm. bit of an edge and, uh, and gave you an identity yeah. and, and made you a cool kid. Uh, it made me a cool kid, you know. Yeah. But, 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 but my interest in radio was sparked, actually, by a gentleman named Jim Shelton, who was the top radio personality in Indianapolis, uh, in, actually in the whole state of Indiana. And I used to help him with remote broadcasts, I uh, used to help him at record hops. Record hops were a big thing back then. We're oh, talking yeah. the late 50s, early 60s. And uh, Jim is the man who instilled the bug in me. Basically, I tell people I got into radio in the summer of 1960 because I used to help him out. I wasn't really working for the radio station. It was WIBC in Indianapolis, which today is a very um, prominent and flagship station, uh, news talk station of MS Broadcasting. Mm-hmm. So, so, fact, you, so, a, so you were a fan um, and, and yeah. already in the door uh, oh, yeah. as, as, as early as 1960. 
That's 1960. Amazing. And in fact, the man who owns Emmis, which Emmis now owns WIBC, mm-hmm. and the man who owns Emmis, who started the company, Jeff Smullyan, who I know you know very well, Jeff uh, and me, and another man who I admire very much, Scott Shannon, who actually gave me the nickname Radio's Best Friend many years ago in the early 80s, all three of us were going to high school at the same time in the same city. Interesting how things like that work. Uh, it's just yeah. uh, it's it's amazing how certain areas produce uh, lots of people within certain fields, and uh, Very true. obviously uh, you come from one such place. Uh, you know, it's mm-hmm. funny you were talking before about your artwork. I think that um, mm-hmm. creative people. Well, first of all, your name is Art, so that's that's fitting. Um, <laughs> which which I gather it's for Arthur, but um, Art yes. Art is a great word. I could make any crying child stop crying within five minutes because of my ability to draw mickey mouse draw pictures to draw mickey yeah, mouse yeah. you, you draw, oh, let's, listen we'll have a mickey mouse uh, uh what is it a, a mickey off <laughs> you see who draws the best mickey mouse right. right so so over the years you have uh you were obviously based on the timeline. You were obviously um, similar to me in the fifties. You were a fan of early rock and roll in the sixties. You were a fan of top forty radio, and that's when the personality great... radio, personality, personality radio. Yeah. I was I was very anti Drake. The, uh, the Bill Drake is a man who developed a format, as you know, who uh, made uh, DJs talk very little and always over the music and, and, and really sped up things. Uh, I thought that was killing personality radio. I realize now in listening to uh, old uh, air checks and recordings of those stations, it was really very good radio, but I didn't like it because I, I like personality radio which yeah, is, i think would also drew me to talk radio yeah before you go further just want to mention again for people listening to this who are not in the radio business the drake format many of you who listen to top 40 radio will remember all of a sudden stations all around the country were sounding alike and they had this big bump a bump 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 yes. ladies and gentlemen they all you're the same right you're oh, listening yeah. to the big town sound and with cklw yeah. or khj los angeles well, hey, you know, the one that I hated the most was what they did to WORFM in New York. Here was a station in New York that was the FM counterpart to one of, uh, of the most legendary AM radio stations in the country, WOR. Um, and they took their FM and, and made it rock and roll and, and did it very eclectically um, in stereo and the whole nine yards. And it was fantastic and only lasted less than two years or so. When boom, because it was an RKO-owned radio station, and they cut a deal with Drake to make all their stations sound the same, they switched it to sound just like all the rest of them. And I thought that was kind of a, a real shame. I mean, ORFM was the East Coast first FM rocker, and uh, KMPX. Uh, yeah, yeah FM FM Kid. FM album rocker for folks again listening to yeah, this. Yeah, album is, rocker. Uh, well, it, actually, back then it was pretty. It was really all over the place, you know, where Tom Donahue was doing more of the album rock thing on, in San Francisco. But they were considered the West and East Coast first FM station. Well, well yeah, yeah. And, and as a matter of fact, I was highly influenced by that, uh, so much so that I... Oh, I well, I was uh, already on radio, but I was playing beautiful music, but I was a rocker at heart. I was uh, a 
big uh, child of the 60s uh, in terms of uh, the pop culture. And um, I listened uh, with great intensity to uh, the WOR you're talking about. And there was a... Really? Uh, there was were you, a, you were in the New York area. I grew, up, I grew up in the New York area. I grew up with Alan okay. Freed in the 50s and, and Cousin oh Brucey God. and all the, the, you know, WABC, WMCA, WHN, WMGM, all those stations uh, in the 60s. And then in the late 60s, when um, Murray the K had left, I think, WINS and Scott Muni had left WABC and there was this fellow, uh, Bill Mercer, who used the one singular name, yeah. Roscoe, on the air. Roscoe. Roscoe got the job at night on WOR and did hippie radio. Oh, he was wow. playing album tracks. He used to come on. He's no longer alive. But he was he was one of the most influential uh, people in certainly my career and many others. And, and he would say, take a mind excursion, baby. This oh, is yeah. <laughs> this is this is Roscoe on W O. You're doing that very well, Michael. F-M. You're doing it very well. And uh, and and then uh, Murray the K came over for a while. Murray Kaufman. I don't know. You, you remember Murray? Yeah, very, Murray. but very subdued Murray the K. Yes, he was uh, not right. The Murray the K on the swing and soiree. He was on ten ten wins. He was he was suddenly a very mellow Murray the K. I could do. I could even do that. Murray the K on the swing and soiree with a blast <laughs> from the past. From the past. <laughs> a big golden old day for you. Well, he's coming up. Murray the K here, and uh, here's what. Holding gassers and music for submarine race watchers, yep. which I didn't even understand as a kid. What well, a submarine race <laughs> I learned, however, you know, uh, another way place to make out. Right. So they but, so no, they dumped was, they was, dumped. Was, let me jump in. They dumped the, they dumped the format, and these guys went yeah. went over uh, to. WNEWFM that picked it up and, Some of them and, did, yes. and ran with the yeah. ball, and, and I became the morning man there. I was the morning man at WNEWFM uh, in the rock format, uh, 1971. 2.7, where rock lives. In 1972. Yeah. So uh, that's uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting history. Uh, who were some of the most memorable personalities that you have recorded to video that'll be popping up at the um, museum in the Hall of Fame? Well, um, obviously, you know, one of the one of the best things I ever did was a four hour and 20 minute video called Z100 retrospective of the first 10 years. And this is the era when Scott Shannon took this sleepy station in Newark, New Jersey, which was basically a beautiful music station, WVNJ, uh, the voice of New Jersey, I'm assuming that stood for and um, and took it. And, and took the FM. Now the AM is on 620 with a really pretty decent signal, but it's never been much of anything. And today I think it's probably doing Spanish programming or something like that. But the AM, the FM was at 100.3 in Newark. And uh, he took this station, and uh, everybody knows the story. It went from worst to first in 74 days. And I think if we live to another 100 years, we'll never see that ever happening again. So Scott is one of my uh, heroes and uh, one of the people I I got to videotape very early on. Uh, Another uh, DJ that uh, is a real major personality and has written a book called Records Truly Is My Middle Name is John Records Landecker. And I've known John. He's from Ann Arbor. And um, I first met him 
when he did his uh, did Saturday mornings for free on a little 500 watt station in Ann Arbor in the middle of a cornfield uh, with egg cartons on the walls for uh, soundproofing. That's <laughs> you remember stuff like that. Uh, but Landecker, when he was at WLS in Chicago, was one of those guys that was like a DJ's DJ. I think um, a guy that talked, gives seminars on uh, personality radio and what have you, named Dan O'Day on the West Coast, uh, has often said that more young people were influenced to becoming DJs by John, you know, records Landecker than anybody out there because he's he was just so real. Um, today. Uh, I would say uh, my favorites, uh, unquestionably, the Bob and Tom show, based in Indianapolis, because it is a solid personality show and very, very funny. And even though Bob retired at the end of 2015, the show was still called the Bob and Tom show because there are so many archived bits that they have recorded over the last 33, 35 years. Uh, that they play, and he's on those bits, so it's still the Bob and Tom show, even though Bob's not there anymore. Uh, and, and it's one of my very, very favorites. And I, by the way, they now televise their show on the Internet with uh, four or five cameras switched live every morning, and I will take part credit for that because I was videotaping their show back in the early 80s when they first showed up in Indianapolis. Do you think that there's so a... Do you think that there's a danger in having cameras in the studio to show DJs no. at work in terms of no. taking away the Not mystique? Not at all. Because, because, because there is no more, sadly, there is no more theater of the mind. Huh. Um, it used to be, and in fact, one of the greatest videos I ever made was in 2003 at a talk radio convention on the West Coast. And it was uh, with Paul Harvey. And Paul Harvey would say, I can't imagine television creating anywhere near as great a picture in your mind as you can get on listening to the radio, uh, from listening to the radio. And, and, and I understand what he's saying, and, but the trouble is the world has changed so much and we have become so visual. Everything is visual these days. And people uh, want to see what's behind the curtain. They don't want to imagine anymore. Sometimes people say, well, imagine what it would be like. No, people can't imagine anymore. Their imaginations have been taken away from them because we've we've showed how movies are made with green screens and, and how tricks are done and everything, and, 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 it's, and it's unfortunate. And after I got done videotaping Paul Harvey's riveting 17-minute speech when he got a Lifetime Achievement Award, um, uh, from R and R, which was a great publication at the time, which is gone, um, and and uh, people were coming up to me saying, "Wow, do you realize what you just got?" And I said, "Sure, I do. I just got a great keynote by Paul Harvey," and they said, "No, you may have just gotten his last speech," and uh, and I said, "Yeah, you think so?" Uh, I did. I didn't agree. I thought he still had plenty of fire in the furnace, but. Uh, it turned out that was his last speech to the industry. And it, it's been posted on YouTube. I actually have it on YouTube. It's just listed as Paul Harvey Keynote. And anybody can see it. And a lot of people have watched it. And it is a riveting uh, speech. That and, and, and Minnie Pearl gave a keynote at the Country Radio Seminar in Nashville back in 89. That as I was recording it, I said, wow, when she's gone, 
and of course she is now. <laughs> she was she died only two or three years later. Uh, this is going to be a very valuable video, and it is. Well, you you, you seem to have uh, well. Obviously, you do it long enough. Eventually, everybody um, dies, and uh, you have a lot of yeah. uh, a lot of people who um, are uh, on that great radio station in the sky. I remember. That's um, right. I I believe it was your video. Um, forgive me if I'm wrong, but one of my early radio heroes passed away recently. Herb Oscar Anderson. Um, oh yeah, of WABC, and and for years, uh, as an older gentleman, he was uh, doing the mornings at a radio station in Florida, um, and I saw a video of that. I don't know if you were the one who recorded it or not. I I just assumed I, I, I was. That in, in fact, <laughs> here's some. This is this may make your head spin around. He actually was doing a weekend show. Is what he was doing mm-hmm. on a station called the Ocean ninety. 90- 7.1 in Vero Beach, Florida. He was living at the time in Fort Pierce, the next town south of, uh, mm-hmm. of Vero. And um, when the hurricanes in 04, and there were two, Francis and Jean, that hit Vero Beach smack dead on, uh, the radio station was uh, heavily uh, damaged, uh, radically destroyed. And the general manager was a very dear friend of mine, James K. Davis. Well, Big Jim Davis, um, who was Bob Evans on ORFM, <laughs> In the Drake era. Wow. Uh, all this intertwines, doesn't it? But yeah. anyway, uh, he was a big fan of HOA, and uh, and he uh, uh, they got to be friends. He came over to the radio station and helped out while they were doing broadcasts from a card table in the parking lot uh, with a thing connected to the transmitter to try and help the community pull itself together because the station had the roof torn off the whole building. It was It was substantial damage. And so they got to be very good friends, and he put them on the air and was doing a wonderful show down there. Then in 07, Herb came up to New Jersey to be part of a Radio Greats reunion at a station called The Breeze at the Jersey Shore. And I was videotaping him singing his theme song, Hello Again, Here's My Best to You. And I said, pinch me. (laughs) I said, I cannot believe I'm doing this. I am recording a hero of mine doing his old theme song. And I'll tell you something. I had goosebumps. Um, People say, have you ever been in awe when you're recording somebody? That was an awe moment, just like it was when I was in CBS FM videotaping Big Dan Ingram. Because Dan Ingram is considered by many people in our business, Michael, to be the best DJ ever. So hey, you know, I, I, I agree. Let moments. me let me ask those you. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Are you breaking? Are you are you cra- are you um, falling? Are, are you having a meltdown? Are you emotionally? Um, no, no, no. I get. I, well, I, I, I'm, a, I'm an incredibly emotional person, and when I talk about some of these people, especially the ones we've lost, it it, it does affect me. I mean, because well, the trouble is, we don't have. And this is my biggest bitch about the radio business today. We're losing so many great people, and and there don't seem to be very many good ones coming along to replace them. And I feel badly for today's radio listener who doesn't get to hear what people like you and I grew up with. They're, They're just seemingly not there anymore. It is very emotional for me, but, you know, it's... Hey, what can I tell you? The I'm reason, the reason, I, the reason I mentioned, <laughs> the reason I mentioned that I, I could hear the emotion in your voice uh, is oh, because yeah. I once, I once had an experience with you that uh, really put into perspective. <laughs> it put into perspective Uh-oh. for me 
how um, how emotional you are about uh, the radio industry and about the radio medium. And, uh, and and it explains to me what makes you tick. And it explains to me why uh, Scott Shannon called you radio's best friend. And that is a, a title that has stuck. And, and why yeah, you have, uh, over the years, had the drive, quite selflessly, because I know you have not made money doing this. You have done this as, no. a, devoted, as a devoted fan of the culture and, and, and hold a position of very high esteem among professional radio broadcasters. But you and I were at a convention together talking at a cocktail party, and the great Ron Lundy of WABC uh, back in the 60s, one of the great personalities, had, had died a few days before. And um, and you and I were, were just having a chat, and um, you mentioned, we mentioned, I mentioned, you mentioned that Ron Lundy had died, um, and you began to cry. Uh, and I stood there and I said, oh, Art, I'm, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize, you know, I, I, I didn't realize you were that close to him. And you told me... <laughs> you thought he was a relative or something, bro. And you told me you never met him. And you were crying. Now, I'm not I'm not trying to make fun of you, man. I, I, I was touched to the core. And my whole view of you that day shifted. I mean, I always liked you. But it. I said, wait a second. This guy is deeply, deeply attracted to radio. Have you ever yeah. thought about what is it about you know, it, it, what's amazing is you're a video guy, your your business, you make your living and you're an excellent videographer. And all this work that you have done on behalf of the radio industry has been basically uh, because you love radio. You make you, you don't make your living doing that. I mean, you get paid sometimes, but the point is you get paid as a, in, in your business of uh, Volo, uh, Volo Video. We'll talk about how people can reach you. But but you've done this thing that has led to becoming the greatest archive of, of radio history history in the world of video i mean what you've done is amazing and it comes from your deep passion how does a video guy have passion for an audio medium like that what's the what, what well, go I, deeper i i didn't i didn't even know when i started doing this what i was doing i mean i i, I knew it was cool but i didn't know what effect it would have uh, very rarely do people start doing something and say i'm going to make history um it just works out that way i mean uh um, uh, my my interest in in, in video um, uh, happened when the first Betamax came out. I took the Beta bath, like so many of us, to believe that Sony's format was better. But like everything, you know, there's uh, there's always Pepsi and Coke, and there's uh, Duracell and Energizer, and there's you know there's uh, Beta and VHS, and and I picked the wrong one. <laughs> uh, so beta was better. But VHS sold more, so it became the dominant format. Of course, now they're both dead, and nobody even uh, does tape anymore. It's all digital. But but at the time, uh, I saw a video. Uh, in fact, it was a black-and-white copy. It was shot in color, but I saw a black-and-white copy of a, I guess it was best called a station presentation, but it showed all the DJs and the manager and the program director and their offices and what have you in San Diego of the quite legendary B100, which was KFM, BFM in, uh, in uh, San Diego. And that was at a convention in 1977 in Dallas. I saw that R&R &R convention in 1977. 
and it was taken and put together by a guy named Shotgun Tom Kelly. And that's when we got to be friends. And he did it with a, not a video camera, he did it with a 8-millimeter film camera. Mm. And, uh, and I thought, holy cow. I mean, we all knew what air checks were. They're tapes of stations. But this was a video air check, so to speak. And I got to, you get to see the DJ. You can see their body language. You can see how they do their show. You can learn a lot about their personality by watching them in action. And I thought, how cool is this? So um, the very, very first time I put a camera on somebody behind a microphone was a good friend of mine by the name of Rob Milford, one of the best newsmen in the business, and why he is not in the major market, I will never know. But he was in St. Louis, which is a major market at the time, on the legendary set of call letters, KWK. He was doing news. And I videotaped him. And he even said on the air, I've got somebody pointing a camera at me. This is the first time I've ever been on the radio and on TV at the same time. And that was the very first time. That was June of 1979. So um, coming up in about a month away, a month and a year from now, will be 40 years since I shot the first radio personality in the studio. And then I did subsequently many more after that, uh, mostly in Chicago and here in the Detroit area where I live. And it went on from there. And today, it is estimated that I have probably, uh, I've never counted them all up. It's probably somewhere between 800 and 1,000 different personalities on video. And then in 2015, at the National Radio Hall of Fame uh, induction ceremony in Chicago, Craig Kitchen, who is now in charge uh, uh, after the uh, retired uh, Bruce Dumont stepped uh, down, um, he uh, he made this surprise announcement that they were going to have an exhibit, uh, a permanent exhibit at the uh, the the, the uh, museum uh, at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago that would feature all of my stuff. So I am hurriedly trying to get everything in digital format to them, and they're going to put it into some kind of a massive computer of some sort. And you'll be able to go into the museum and have a keyboard in front of you and a screen, and you type in that you want to see, like if I had you on video, but I don't. Um, you know, as a DJ, just type in Michael Harrison, WNEW, New York, and it would come up. Wow. It's going to be a fantastic, so a fantastic oh, exhibit. It's going to be great. Wonderful, wonderful oh, yeah. contribution to American history and to the history of this yeah. culture. I congratulate you for that. And Art, I thank, thank you. you so much for joining us. My pleasure. No, I'm I'm glad that I could. You know, there are still a lot of great personalities uh, on the radio, and I embrace them all. And uh, I was just reading that uh, Southwest Airlines is going to make it so you can listen to iHeartRadio on the plane. I think that's great because my two favorite morning shows in America are the before mentioned Bob and Tom, and Paul Castronovo, who was brilliant down in Miami, and they're just and they're both on iHeart stations. So I think it's great that we can can still hear great radio around America. I wish that talk radio would be able to cover topics other than just politics. That's my only beef. But believe me, I'm still a huge fan of personality and talk radio. And thank you for the opportunity, Michael. And there you have it. An uninterrupted conversation with noted radio industry videographer and historian, radio's best friend, 
Art Volo. To learn more about Art Volo, check out his website, www.volovideo.com. It's spelled V-U-O-L-O video.com. Thank you for downloading this program from Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and the Podcast One app, and for following our Tuesday tweets announcing the names of our weekly guests. To sign up, it's at MHinterview. I can be reached directly via email at michael at talkers.com. If you find this show to be of interest and value, please subscribe to it as well as giving it a positive five-star review on Apple Podcasts. The Michael Harrison Interview. Thank you for listening. The Michael Harrison Interview is a presentation of Podcast One, produced by Good Phone Communications in association with Talkers Magazine. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. (laughs) 